Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. If you think of the history of undershirt, you know, you had right. the crewneck, the v-neck, the tank top, and now yeah. suddenly you have the L-cut. I really want to change the world of undershirts. Welcome everybody to the Jeff Mara podcast. Today we have a very special guest, Laurent Tron, and he is the owner and creator of Lespirant Undershirts. So Laurent, thank you very much for joining us and uh, welcome. Yeah, thanks Jeff for having me. Thank you. All right. So can you give us a little background of how you got into the fashion business? Uh, yeah, sure. Um, so, you know, you often hear the saying that uh, need is the mother of invention. In this case, it was truly the case. Mm-hmm. Uh, what happened is in 2014, so I used to live, uh, I moved to Texas when I was 15 years old uh, uh-huh. in the 90s, went to school there and everything. And I was working there in 2014. And uh, as you know, in Texas, it gets pretty hot. You know? Yes. And I usually wear uh, dress shirts when I go out like I'm doing now. Mm-hmm. But uh, I hate having sweat stains. So what do you do if you don't want a sweat stain? You usually wear an undershirt mm-hmm. so that you avoid having visible sweat stain under your armpit. And uh, if you don't, also, you don't want to have sweat stain on your back. But right. uh, whenever you wear an undershirt, it's, uh, it makes you hot, right? Because you have two layers. And, and also, it's not very sexy because all the time you can see the collar. If you get a crew neck or even some V-necks, you can see the collar or... If you wear a thin white dress shirt, you can see the edges uh, of the undershirt, uh, which is not cool. Right. And one day I was going to uh, a happy hour, which was taking place outside, and it was you know, 95 degrees and humid. And I was like, my God, I have to wear an undershirt again. Mm-hmm. And um, I usually would buy V-necks, and then I would stretch them down so that uh, you know you would not see them, uh, like when you have... Uh, so that you would not see the color under your dress shirt. Right. Um, and I don't remember exactly why I decided to start cutting the V-neck even deeper. Uh, there was a pair of scissors there and I just, oh, I was, it was a brand new V-neck and it wouldn't stretch. So I decided to just cut the V a bit right. deeper. And I kept, you know, I kept cutting deeper and deeper until there was like no front left. Uh-huh. And, uh, and then I just decided to wear it, you know, and, uh, I went to my happy hour and, uh, you know, the later in the evening when I came back, I was like, wow, it's like so much nicer than a regular, uh, undershirt because it's not hot to wear when there's no front and I still have the sweat protection for my, arm, for, for my armpits. Mm-hmm. So that was it. And then, uh, I went on Amazon and I couldn't find anything like it. And I was like, wow, that's only an undershirt. So maybe I can try to make it. That's awesome. You know, if you want to start a business or a brand or an entrepreneur, it's best to find what people need and then create it instead of just sitting around thinking of an idea. What can I sell? Right. So you've kind of already reverse did that without even, you know, knowing that that's what you needed. You just created something that you personally need. Yeah. And, uh, and I, I mean, to me, and I, especially in the U S I mean, you know, people don't wear undershirts as, as much, but in the U S we, we usually wear undershirts, uh, in the office. Right. And you always see it everywhere where guys have undershirts where you can see the color or you can see, you know, the sleeves of the undershirt under their, under their white uh, dress shirt at work. And uh, in my particular case, 
uh, I mean, I just knew that I could not be the only one that had that, you know, that, that hates wearing undershirt, but you still do it because you had to pick between, okay, do I look like a, you know, do I look stupid with my undershirt because it's visible or do I get sweat stain under my armpit, you know, which, which is the worst, you know, which, which is the lesser of two evils there. Right. And, um, yeah. And when I had this idea of cutting the front of the undershirt, I was like, wow, it's great. It's like all the benefits without the downside of an undershirt. Yeah. And you know, I'm from Texas as well. And I've been to Houston many, many, I'm in San Antonio, but I've been to Houston many times and Houston is more humid than San Antonio. It's just like muggy there. It's like, it can be miserable there in the, in the, in the summertime. So I can definitely understand where you're coming from. Uh, as you lived in there, did you ever go to Hong Kong market? Uh, on Bel Air, yeah, yeah, my yeah. parents only too far from there, of course, yeah. Yeah, I used to go down there quite a bit. I um, for a while, I w- even um was studying acupuncture in Houston, and on the weekends, so I would go down to to Hong Kong Market. I thought that place is really cool. Yeah, I live. I still have my house. I still have a townhome in uh, in Midtown. Oh yeah. And then um, most of my family, my two sisters, my parents are around the um, are in uh, in the Heights and uh, and uh, League City. Uh, and then my parents are not too far from Hong Kong market, actually. Oh, cool. So, yeah, I know, I know they are pretty well. I go back to the U.S. at least twice a year, sometimes three times. Yeah. When I read about you, that you decided to move to Europe, what what was the decision on that? Uh, it was actually for like uh, a job I used to have, mm-hmm. where I basically sold a project there and uh, I had to move there temporarily. Yeah. Uh, for a few months and um, at the end I ended up I mean I realized that my quality of life was, was quite nice there yeah. and I just decided to stay and also what contributed to my decision to stay is that I, I am an avid uh, tango dancer uh-huh. and, uh, the tango the tango community in Europe is a bit um, I guess it's a bit better it's easier to travel to go to tango festivals and tango marathon um, because you know you just have to fly two hours and you're in, you know you're in Budapest or you're in Belgrade or you're, you're, you're in Italy, Torino or, or Rome where, you can, where they have a lot of tango events. So um, dancing tango is one of the main reasons that kept me in Europe, actually. Oh, okay. But like I say, I, I still go back to the U.S. to visit my family, check on the house. Right. So I'm kind of trying to keep a foot in two, you know, on, on, the, on the two sides of the ocean there. Oh, that's great. Um, you know, I didn't realize that tango was so big in Europe. I heard that... Uh, I don't know how big it is, but I think that swing dancing is quite popular in Europe. Yeah, so I will say it's popular. Um, I mean, if you look at all the partner dances, your tango is probably at the bottom, you know, in terms of like the number of dancers. Okay. Uh, Salsa and swing dancers, the numbers of salsa and swing dancers definitely dwarfs, uh, you know, the number of tango dancers. But compared to the U.S., there are more tango events in Europe than in the U.S., Mm -hmm. and uh, it's easier to travel because... Within two hours, I can be in whatever city I need to be to to attend an event. Right, and I guess, but living in France or Germany, the weather's got to be way better than Houston. Uh, it's not as hot for sure, yeah. But sometimes you, you do miss, uh, you know, nice hot sunny days that uh, that you get in uh, in Houston. Hmm, interesting, but uh, yeah, the temperature is more, more, uh, more, I guess, moderate. I mean, today it was about twenty two degrees Celsius. So what's that? Eighties. Uh, like 80s. Uh, you know, high, high, high 70s, low 80s. Oh, yeah. And it's, and it's dry. See, to me, that would be perfect. I mean, we're already into the, I mean, we've even had into the hundreds already. Yeah. 
And what's nice actually where I live in Dusseldorf, they have lots of lakes where you can swim and the water is like crystal clear. Mm-hmm. And you don't have to worry about uh, men eating animals, you know, like alligator or yeah. <laughs> anything like that in the water. Oh, yeah. So, actually, the last three weekends I was out uh, at different lakes around Dusseldorf, uh, just hanging out with some friends and, you know, swimming. And the water is really crystal clear. You know, it's not muddy water like you have in, uh, uh, in Houston lakes. Yeah. Texas lakes. Yeah. 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 You're right. Yeah. I mean, there's not many lakes that I know that you can see to the bottom. Yeah. It's just, you go underwater and you're just, you just yeah, see you nothing. You go to Bowton Spring in Austin for that, right? Yeah. 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 It's cool. It's nice to talk to someone, a local, you, to me, you're like a local that you even know Barton Springs. Well, you know, when people ask me where I'm from, I, I don't say I'm from France. I usually say I'm from Texas mm. because I've lived there longer. Do people uh, ask you about cowboy stuff when you say that? Uh, yeah, you know, I mean, in the early 2000s, yeah, they do. I mean, they ask if, you know, if everyone, you know, have a horse or... Yeah. But, I mean, they're curious, you know, because, I mean, Texas does have its own image that's always a bit separate than the U.S. Uh, yeah, you know, it's funny is when I was in college back in the 90s, I was going to school in Atlanta. And even when I was going to school there, people were asking me, and it's in the U.S. Does everybody ride a horse in Texas? And thought everybody, you know, even in our own country, people still have this idea that most people are cowboys here. Yeah. Well, actually, let me do a little of a plug of advertising for a friend of mine sure. uh, who owns an equestrian center in the woodlands of um, uh, in the woodlands uh, just north of Houston. Mm-hmm. So actually, I, I never really got good at it, but. Uh, she uh, she tried to teach me how to ride a, a horse uh, a few times. Mm-hmm. So it's pretty. Uh, it's it's you de- there's definitely a lot of horse riding going on in Houston if you want to. Right. What's the name of her center? Uh, the Woodland Equestrian Center. The Woodland the Woodland Equestrian Center. Yeah. In the All Woodland. right. All right. Anybody here listening? You're in Houston. Go check it out. Getting back to your brand, uh, how long have you had the brand now? Uh, so it took me about two years to get off the group of ground. Uh, mm-hmm. The website came online uh, November, no, December 2017. 2017. And yeah, so, so that's about, uh, I guess, uh, a, bit, a bit more than, uh, a bit less than three years now. All right. I, have, I know almost absolutely nothing about clothing brands and clothing manufacturing and, you know, how you go about all this. You had your design. Did you, you know, you did your kind of initial where you cut your shirt and said, hmm, let me take a shirt, you know, let me go ahead and try to design this. Did you actually work with a designer to kind of do cuts in the sewing or did you do the cuts and sewing yourself and f- find out, okay, this is the way I like it physically, the way I like it cut, and then let's find fabrics? Yeah. So, I mean, I guess let me, I guess tell your audience a bit about me. I actually studied aerospace engineering and mm-hmm. then I did the MBA thing. So my background was not at all in fashion when I decided to, to start this. Um, and so I pretty much had to, you know, figure things out on the fly. And when I decided to move forward with, uh, forming the company and launching the, uh, I guess the production, in my mind, I was thinking, well, it's only a T-shirt, so it can't be that hard to, you know, to figure out. Yeah. So to go back to your initial question, how did I go about the design? So the first thing I did was um, basically I took a pair of scissors and I decided to, you know, to cut uh, the front of a normal T-shirt. And I, I did play around a bit, you know, whether I wanted to have round edges for the sleeve and the back. 
just try an air or to see what felt comfortable. Mm-hmm. And then um, I didn't know how to sew. So at one point when I kind of liked uh, an initial uh, idea of the design, I basically took a T-shirt, I drew some line where I wanted to cut it mm-hmm. and I brought it to an alteration shop and asked them if they could just cut, you know, along this line and then uh, do, um, do the edges so it would look nice. And I still have the first prototype uh, in one of my drawers at home, actually, that I made. Oh, cool. Um, and then after that, I... Um, I went to, uh, in, the, in Europe, there's a big uh, fashion uh, uh, expo. It's called Premier Vision. It's like twice a year in Paris. Mm-hmm. Something like 2,000 vendors go there. And basically, uh, the way uh, I went about looking for the fabric is uh, I just went there with a prototype I had in my hand, and uh, I went to talk to a bunch of the uh, vendors, and I went you know, inside the booth, touched the fabric until I found stuff that I liked, and I ordered something maybe like, 30 different type of fabrics. Uh-huh. Uh, again, not knowing much about fabrics other than just touching it to see if I liked it. Right. Uh, I did a bunch of prototypes uh, working with a local uh, um, seamstress. Um, uh, and uh, then I kept wearing them and dancing with them to see which one felt nice to the touch until I decided to pick one particular fabric. It took me almost six months, actually, you know, to to get the different types of fabrics, get the prototypes made and, mm. and then wear them and test them to, um, to select a fabric. And I ended up picking a tensile, which is made by a company called Lensing in Austria. Okay. I was going to ask you that. I don't know. Is, uh, is tensile like a type of cotton or is it like a, no. So tensile is, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a viscous, it's a viscous based, uh, fabric. So it's actually made of wood fiber, wood pulp. Okay. Uh, so it's a bit different than cotton. You know, cotton is a plant. Uh, then you have that little uh, cotton flower thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you can also make fiber out of wood pulp. And it's um, it's pretty nice. It's nicer than cotton because it absorbs more sweat than uh, cotton per weight. Right. And it's also cooler to the touch. And then the best advantage is also that it's uh, naturally odor resistant. So mass fabric, when they try to make something that's odor resistant, they have to make chemically treat it. Right. And then after 30, some washes, you know, it kind of goes away. But with tensile, uh, you could basically wear your undershirt three days in a row before it starts smelling bad. Of course, you, uh, usually you don't do that. Right. But if you happen to be on a business trip and you're out of undershirt or you forgot to bring one, yeah. you can actually wear it three days in a row uh, before it starts smelling bad. Or you can just rinse it with water every night and then hang dry it and wear it the next day and it doesn't really smell. But and, uh, yeah. Oh, I would say that's pretty interesting. Yeah, because I personally don't, I like to wear cotton fabrics because I feel like they breathe more versus I think what you find in the States here is a lot of stuff is made with polyester. Yeah, and I think polyesters is like a plastic or something, and it doesn't let you breathe. You like seem to sweat in that type of material. Yeah, so it 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 depends how it depends on the need to and the pattern of the of the fabric. I mean, a lot of the uh, sportwear stuff is made of uh, polyester and spandex, and depending on how they weave the fabric, some of it can be some of them can can be actually breathable. But you are, I think, most of the polyester you you buy, uh, it tends to make you warmer. Yeah, right. because it doesn't breathe as well, like you said. And also, it smells bad really quickly. I mean, if you wear your, uh, I guess, uh, workout T-shirt, right, and you go to the gym or you go for a run, 
usually by the end of your workout, it, it stinks pretty bad. Right. Uh, what if you buy, um, I'm not the only one using Tensile. A lot of the yoga brands use Tensile. Uh, right. There's a couple other other, other undershirt brands that also use Tensile. And definitely one of the main reasons people use Tensile is because of its, uh, it's softer than cotton. It's cooler to the touch than cotton. Mm-hmm. It absorbs. It's more sweat wicking naturally than cotton. Mm-hmm. And then it doesn't smell. Interesting. Yeah, that's very interesting. I'd like to, I'd like to like feel what that feels like, you know. I was looking at your website and I was looking at the way your undershirts are, but they look like they are kind of form fitting, kind of like spandex. Do they, are they like, they're not really like a t-shirt and loose. They're kind of more uh, form fitting around your body. Am I correct in that or is that just uh, the way the pictures look? Yes. Yeah, so they, they are sized uh, because there is no front, right? You need mm-hmm. to make them a bit smaller. Uh, so they, they fit um, against, uh, I guess, against your shoulder mm. and around your armpit. Right. And that's what keeps, uh, keeps them from falling off your shoulder. Okay. Um, I wouldn't say they are, I mean, they are, they are, there is a fabric is actually, um, 90%, 95, 96%, sorry, 94% tensile and, uh, 6%, um, it's not spandex, it's uh, elastane, which is, I guess, spandex is a type of elastane. Right. But yeah, they, they are a bit stretchy. Okay. So that they can, when you put them on, they kind of fit tight around your shoulder. Mm-hmm. From what you're describing, it seems almost more like a very small vest, but uh, it covers your underarms. Uh, uh, I don't know if your audience can see it. Yeah. But it fits around your shoulder, like right here. Right. And it just catches the sweat for your armpit. Um, and, and also their skin tone color, so you won't even see them under like a white, uh, a white undershirt. Right. But yeah, it fits around your your shoulder. Let me see if I let me grab one shirt that I have. Okay, great. So if you can see it here, it's the it's the design there. It's a bit it's a bit hard to see on the webcam, but uh, mm-hmm. it's basically um, open front vest, like you mentioned. Right. It, it's really uh, made to, to cover your armpit, the area around your armpit, and also your back. Right. But the front is completely open, so you don't even feel like you're wearing it. One of the great advantages of this design is that um, because there is no front, you don't feel like you're wearing two layers. Right. So it you know, doesn't really keep you uh, warm at all. So most people, usually, they're, they're very skeptical at first because uh, I'm the only one that, uh, that makes this design. Nobody, I guess, thought about this before. Mm-hmm. And uh, people are a bit skeptical at first. They're like, well, what is this? You know, this really work? Right. And even guys that don't like to wear undershirts because they're afraid of being uh, too warm wearing it mm-hmm. are really surprised that they just forget about it. And then it doesn't really uh, make, you, make you warmer than uh, not wearing anything. And again, uh, once you have to decide between, okay, do I get visible sweat stain or you know, do I wear the lesbian undershirt? Usually uh, people talk to, uh, I mean, it's a, it's a good trade-off. I mean, they don't really see there's a trade-off actually wearing my undershirt right? Uh, as opposed to not wearing an undershirt. I think it's interesting is that you have this insight into how people should dress but most people or most men wear an undershirt under their shirt. So it becomes the normal it's not doesn't necessarily mean it looks good or is right, but you're accustomed to just seeing everybody with a t-shirt under a shirt. You see the sleeves, you see the collars. So I thought it was interesting that you were able to just kind of pick that out. And I'm sure other people have too, but just say, you know, that really doesn't look good. 
Yeah, it's necessary, yeah. but it just doesn't look good. Where most people just accept it as that's the way it is and don't try to make a change. Yeah, it is difficult, you know, for guys to um, to get people to change their mind about it. But yeah, I mean, for me, when I wear a dress shirt, I mean, I don't. I, I usually like to keep at least uh, two buttons down, mm-hmm. just because it, when you wear when you wear a dress shirt, the last thing you want to be is to be hot. I mean, to be uh, warm with it, right? Right. And uh, that's why I always leave the top often. Like, I like to be relaxed. I don't like to button up my my collar because then I feel like I'm suffocating. Right. I, I really want uh, you know to be wearing clothes that are breathable. Right. And uh, yeah. You know, and and you're you're right. People are so used to the downside of wearing an undershirt, which are you 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 can't see the undershirt. They don't even question that. Well, maybe there's a better way. Maybe there's a better design out there. Yeah, um, yeah, that's it. That is it. Like, I mean, with other things in life or technology, we never question. Maybe there's a better way. We just accept as is. And, and you know, it's funny because it's such a simple idea at the end of the day, right? I right. Mean, I mean, it's almost ridiculous. Okay, let me cut the front of my undershirt, right? Yeah. <laughs> but it makes such a big difference. Yeah. It makes such a big difference uh, in terms of how comfortable it is to wear it. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, like I say, you, the design gives you all the advantages, mm-hmm. all the benefits of an undershirt without the downside. Mm-hmm. Um, it's one of those things that people don't believe it until they wear it, so... Right. You know, I'm curious of myself if I wish I could try it. Just, hey, you, you can know, place an order, you know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so you are, are you manufacturing these in, um, Germany or are you having them made like in, uh, in China or Indonesia no, so or I'm, India? I'm making everything, uh, I've, I've kept my entire supply chain in, um, uh, in Europe. Uh, and the main reason is, um, I, my parents, uh, I was born in Europe, right? Even though I lived in the U.S. Uh, mm-hmm. after 15. But one thing about, um, I guess, the, uh, the labor laws in Europe, everybody usually gets uh, four to five weeks of paid vacation. They get health insurance. There's usually some kind of pension form uh, from the employers. And I wanted everybody in my supply chain to have the same benefits I grew up with. And... Um, and, and to, if I wanted to make that guarantee, the only way I could do it that was feasible for me, you know, being a, a small startup on my own trying to build a brand was to keep the entire supply chain in Europe. Right. And there are some people that are able to find uh, a fair trade and sustainable factory out in Asia to lower our production costs. Uh, but this requires quite a bit of, uh, you know, uh, I guess, uh, audit work and a lot of time spending finding the right factory. And when you're by yourself, like I was uh, trying to figure this out, was just too much, you know, too much time and too much work that I just didn't have right. uh, at the time. Maybe at down the road, uh, once I have some volume up and I get more sales, uh, I would consider maybe moving the supply or part of the supply chain to Asia. If I could f- ensure that the uh, factory workers got uh, decent benefits. Like I say, so right now what I want, I want everybody in my supply chain to have at least uh, four weeks of uh, paid vacation, four months of paid maternity leaves, uh, paid maternity leaves, um, and then health insurance. Yeah, I mean, that's... Like I say, if you keep keep your stuff in Europe, then you don't have to worry about it because they have to do it by law. So that makes it a bit simpler. It sounds awesome. We don't even get that here. 
Uh, yeah, and, and also I wanted to be able to visit the factory, right? Uh, so my factory is uh, based in uh, Portugal. Okay. And uh, and I was able to, I think I visited them like three times. So even though I'm a, you know, I'm a small fish compared to their, you know, to the bigger brands they deal with, it's kind of nice to be able to go to the factory and, and see your shirt being made. Mm-hmm. I guess it's all, it, all your sales are online. You don't have them in any stores or do you? No, currently, and I had a one. Uh, I had one Tango vendor that did like Tango Festival would resell for me. But you're right; mostly uh, all my sales are uh, are online now through through the website. Mm-hmm. I'd love to work with uh, distributors or or shops. Uh, it's just a matter of you know making the time to to try to develop those channels. But mm-hmm. it hasn't happened yet. Yeah. So right now, it's mostly uh, online. Have you considered putting it on Amazon? I was there and I still have some stock left there, but I'm actually uh, probably going to shut that down. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, basically, all these uh, horror stories that you know that made uh, that made it through uh, through the news about uh, uh, about how it's like to work at Amazon are, are kind of turning me off. And also, one thing I do not like about Amazon is they, they are developing a lot of their own private label brands. Hmm. Um, I'm not sure how many times it happened, but uh, they, you know, they have no issues copying a product that works. And then, obviously, they have all you know all the intel and analytics to figure out uh, how to outsell you know your, your product. So, right, yeah, it's not uh, not too crazy about a platform developing their own private labels to compete against their own partners. So, yeah, yeah, yeah I, I totally uh, get that. I'm basically finishing the, I think I have maybe like a hundred items on stock. So there I'm just finishing those and I'll probably leave the platform. Are you developing any other products like uh, maybe one for a woman or yeah, something yeah, else? Yeah, yeah, I am. I am. So there's two, there's three products that I'm hoping to, or three different styles that I'm hoping to, to come out with uh, before the fall. So one is um, a normal, uh, it's a deep V-neck. Uh, I do have a lot of people that are not comfortable uh, having their nipple exposed uh, because one reason some guys wear undershirts mm-hmm. is to hide their nipples. Right. They, they don't want their nipples perking out through through the shirt. And of course, with my design, that's not possible. Okay. But the, um, the V-neck I'm developing is, uh, is really deep. So I call it actually the gorge. So I have a name for it. <laughs> It's called the gorge uh, mm-hmm. because it's about it goes about two one inch below the thorax bone, right? Yeah. So it's really deep, and then the sleeves are a bit designed. Uh, um, so usually, if you have a, a normal um, uh, t-shirt V-neck, you'll have normal square sleeves that go down to here to the side, right? And then if you wear a tank top, you basically have no sleeve, right? Yeah. So the design of my sleeve is actually combines both of it where because when you when you had sleep what you want you want the fabric under your armpit yeah to catch the sweat but you don't want any fabric here where you potentially you could see the line right so the way i've designed my sleeve um there's an angle where the angle goes down to the side where you basically have the fabric under the armpit for the sleeve but not above the biceps hmm. so you could almost look like you're wearing a tank top from the outside yeah because your shoulder would be exposed but you'll still have the fabric on your armpit that would be interesting. I mean, if you're developing it for a woman, if it came down low, but still came across here. So it's almost like a combination bra. 
Yeah, so that's the V-neck is for the guys, but for the woman, the version I want to make is still um, devaluing a trade secret here. So let's oh. say this is my shirt, right? I'm wearing it here. Right. This is not exactly this, um, you know, this version, but basically, I'm, I'm I'm reshaping the front panel that you see here. Right. Right. So that they can basically be closed like this. I don't know if you can see. Yeah. That. Yeah. That's what I was thinking. Yeah, so that it can be closed. So there'll still be, you know, the bottom open and the front open. Uh, so there is less fabric and hopefully it would be less hot. But the idea is to uh, cover the underside of the breast. So I didn't know this before, mm-hmm. but women do sweat from under their breasts. So one of the issues that they have um, is to basically have sweat stains coming from under the breast. Oh, and sometimes the bra is not enough to catch everything, to catch oh. all the sweat. That's interesting. Do you feel like you're more of a creative person or more of a person that, you know, a businessman running a business factory, running a big production? Which, which type of person would you think you no, are? I, I, will, I will be honest. I, I do not have the discipline to, um, you know, to run day to day operation and optimize them. Uh, mm. I think for me, uh, and, and what I find much easier is to be part of the creative process. Right. Uh, so right now, I'm actually looking for for partners to help me help me run the um, the day to day operation and scale up. Yeah, I, I know it's not my uh, it's not my cup of tea. I understand. Yeah, because I felt like just talking to you, um, you're a very kind man, and you want all these great benefits for your for your employees and and a very honest business. I don't know well, if it's the- basically three times more than what I could get in China. Right, that's what I'm in, saying. In, in Asia, I'm wondering it's how you. One of the reasons that makes it a bit difficult for me to uh, to to work with distributors is that my cost is so high. Usually, yeah. uh, if you if you own a shop, you want to make in fashion about two hundred percent. So, if you buy something for uh, I don't know ten dollars, for example, mm-hmm. you need to at least resell it for thirty. Right. Um, so, they basically triple. You know what? Uh, what? Um, yeah. What are usually the, that's kind of the guideline rule. And because my cost is so high, if they want to triple my cost, then they uh, they probably would. Uh, it would be pretty expensive and I don't want my undershirt to be a luxury item. You know, it should be more of a commodity. I know it's not exactly the cool thing to say because now in fashion, everybody wants to be like a luxury brand right. or something like this. Uh, but at the end of the day, I'm selling an undershirt, which is a day-to-day product, right? Yeah. Uh, and I don't necessarily uh, want it to be seen as a luxury product because it's not. I mean, it's an innovative product that works well. Right. But uh, my intent is not to, you know, to, to have another uh, lifestyle luxury brand. I'm more interested in uh, functional, um, I guess, a functional aspect of the brand. Right. So, yeah, that would makes me think about, you know, if you're almost, your your competition are like Fruit of the Loom t-shirts and Hanes t-shirts, yeah. right? So you've almost got to compete with them. You know, you can go to Walmart and buy a pack of I, five for I, 10 I, bucks. I, I mean, I'm not, uh, I, I, obviously, I'm not going to compete with them. I'm not going to compete on price, right? Because those right. guys, they sell, basically, they make their stuff in uh, in Asia, right? They can sell you five Enix for $12, something like this, or $15 right. at Walmart, right? Right. Uh, my intent is not, <laughs> not to compete uh, yeah. against them. Uh, my price range now is uh, 35 euros for one. If you buy two, you can get for uh, you can basically get two for 60, and mm-hmm. I have a scale discount where if you buy five, then you get it down to 25 a pop. Okay, yeah. Uh, so it's not 
it's not super cheap, right? Because I make it in Europe, but it's not crazy expensive either. Uh, right. And, um, you know, one reason Fruit of the Loom and, uh, and the like make white T-shirts is that you keep having to buy them every year, right? Because they, if you buy a white T-shirt, somebody gets yellow. Yeah. And people don't like it, right? So they keep buying every year. You'll buy five V-necks, right? Right. But because mine are actually made of uh, are in skin tone color, they don't get yellow. Right. It's actually one of the downsides of my business, right? You buy five and you're done. I won't see you again anymore. Right. Yeah. Uh, it's um, it's um. So yeah, so that's what's a bit more expensive. You're kind of in a tough position, it seems, about with your cost, and then. Okay, where are you? Who are you going to market to? What is the right market? And, and yeah, but so right now the the two main markets, of course, there's the the, the dancing market. So anybody mm. that dances a uh, salsa, tango, swing, have to deal with this. Where you're wearing a dress shirt to go dance, but after five dances, you're all wet, right? Right. And, and it's not really nice for the ladies to dance with a guy who's completely soaked in in sweat with his yeah. dress shirt. Right. So usually other guys put up with it. And the ladies have to put up with it too. And they dance with guys that are completely soaked. All guys have to wear undershirts or they have to basically change a couple of times throughout the night uh, to make sure that, you know, they still look fresh when they dance. Right. Uh, so that's one market. But my real market is really the day-to-day um, guy that goes to the office wearing a dress shirt. Yeah. I was also wondering um, if there are any celebrity dancers that you could get to wear it and kind of endorse it. Um, so because I'm a, I'm a, you know, I, I do have a few, uh, tango world champions that, that do wear it. Mm. Um, cause I'm, I'm a big, I think, I think I mentioned maybe the beginning of the video, but I'm, mm. I'm a big tango dancer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I go to tango festivals and mm. tango marathon. And, uh, I was lucky enough to meet a few, uh, I guess of the well-known, uh, dancers, uh, out there, uh, that have won the Tango world championship in the last uh, 10 years or so. So a few of them have my undershirt that they wear when they dance, mm-hmm. but, um, that, uh, you know, champions, they have other things to do than to talk about a brand. They want to talk about, you know, their Tango shows, how they give Tango classes, that kind of stuff. Right. What I find is more, le- what is, what I find is more better, uh, is better for me is to find, um, avid dancers, you know, Mm-hmm. Uh, that that wear it and they like it so much they tell their friend about it and mm-hmm. if you go to all these dance festivals there's often a local room where mm-hmm. you know the guys can go change uh, when they need to change dress shirts and often what happens is uh, one of the guys uh, will be uh, will be getting there getting changed and putting on my undershirt and then other guys will ask hey what's this you know and uh, yeah. that's kind of the word of mass that gets uh, that gets spread right have you tried uh, advertising on Facebook where you could target like all the dancing Facebook yeah, pages yeah, yeah. and stuff? Yeah. So I'm targeting. So I think at least for the tango community, I've pretty much, I think, saturated that market. Okay. Uh, I think most tango dancers know about the brand, but right now the campaigns I'm running are more focused on uh, business people going to the office, you know, wearing a white dress shirt. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm sure that there's a lot more of those people. Yeah, but if, if, I, if I want to sell a million, you know, undershirt a year, I, it's not going to happen uh, with the dancing community. Yeah, yeah, you got to gotta get everybody. So how did you come up with the name uh, Les Piron? Oh, I don't know if I should divulge that. Oh, okay. That's all right. <laughs> I need to leave a bit of myth about... Uh... A little bit of mystery. 
Yeah, but I, I'll, I'll give you a hint. Uh, spirante means to breathe in Latin. Mm -hmm. That was one of the uh, one of the uh, one of the uh, I guess reason why I, I really wanted to have a brand where um, the key criteria for any of the designs should be that they are breathable. Right. Do you mind giving advice for anybody else? out there that wants to start their own fashion brands some like you know good things to do and good things not to do uh yeah so the first uh, the first area where i messed up is i think i took i took too long you know to um, earlier i mentioned it took me six months to to pick a fabric mm -hmm. and um i i should have uh, i should have spent you know i should have picked a fabric and then go with it and then if it fit or not that later I found, uh, uh, I would find another fabric, I couldn't switch fabric, right? So it's like when you buy a house. When you buy your first house, you're not buying a house forever, right? Right. You know you're going to sell it and change it at some point. Or it's like when you paint your walls. Right. You know, there's no point in buying a uh, paint that has like lifetime uh, warranty because most likely you'll paint your walls again in three months or three years, right? Right. So it's the same thing with that. I waited too long trying to find the perfect fabric and... Uh, I wasted, I think, maybe three months there. The oh. other thing where I messed up is I I did a professional photo shoot okay. um, uh, pretty early, and I did it too early. Uh, I think the photo shoot cost me, yeah, close to like $6,000 or something like this. Okay. Yeah, with the models and everything. And um, because I'm only selling undershirt, it wasn't really necessary. I mean, now when I do a photo shoot, you know, I can do it for less than a thousand, you know, sometimes just $800 because oh. a lot of time I just need one guy. Um, and actually I'm not looking for guys with perfect bodies, you know, with six packs. I'm looking for like normal looking guys um, that, uh, that can, you know, that can show how to wear an undershirt under the, under the dress shirt. And actually most of the time I don't even show the face because if you show the face, people are focused on the face and I want them to be focused on the undershirt. Mm. Um, that's interesting yeah and then what else the other thing is um, yeah the, the main advice is really to um, not wait for everything to be perfect at some point you have to decide it's good enough right and and then you have to iterate you know it's like in software you have this agile uh, uh, approach to development where you get something working and then you just do iteration it's the same thing and in my case, again, because I'm only doing an undershirt, it might be a bit faster to go through, uh, you know, this iteration uh, with the design and with the production than if you have a full, uh, full-scale brand. Hmm. All right, great, thanks. You are also, I'm pretty sure I saw that you do have an Instagram, right? Yes. Yeah, so I'm. I must. I confess, I am not super active on um, on social media. It's, uh, yeah. it's one thing I need to do really if I uh, if I want to scale the brand. Yeah. Uh, I have a few pictures of the product, but not not too much, unfortunately. Something hopefully that will change in the next few months. Uh, you know, what'd be interesting is is if you know. I don't know if you know about TikTok now, right? TikTok yes, is like one of the biggest things in there. And now maybe what you, what would be kind of cool is, is you, you know, I think you can put 15 second videos, right? Yeah, and and yeah. I just had a vision. I mean, I'm just 